0: That is a blessing. Glad that those ports got opened up. And uh, that's a lot of gospel tracks going over there. And uh, they got people that are passing them out and folks are still getting the word of God, that's for sure. So it says mute off question mark as if this is asking me a question. (laughs) Neither did I. Whoops. Check this out. i on. Now I'm on. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. All right. I never had to ask me a question before. That confused me. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter six. Some of you are going to be like, this guy, he doesn't study. He, uh, you know, gets a couple of sermons and just runs with them. This is what I preached when I was down at uh, Dr. Peacock's place. And you say, why in the world would you preach that? Because half of y'all were there when I preached it. Um, <clears throat> and then the other half of you, you probably listened to it online because you're gluttons for punishment. Um, but for those of you that didn't, I really feel that the things that are being brought out in this passage, um, for one, uh, are very important. And I think that as far as in a church setting, or in our, local, our local church is important to go through some of these things. <clears throat> and, um, and it's not uh, a lack of study. It's just merely I feel like this is what the Lord wants me to do. Um, so Ephesians chapter number 6, um, for those of you who aren't aware of the theme of the Jubilee this year, it was, it was uh, standing, <clears throat> to, to stand. And uh, it, was a great, it was a great meeting and I appreciate everybody praying for, for us, the group down there and everybody that went down there from our church. I uh, appreciate everybody and the support that you guys showed to that meeting and you showed to the group and uh, all of us that go down there. We appreciate it and uh, thank the Lord everybody got back safe and, and uh, everybody hopefully was refreshed um, that went down there. But uh, take here in Ephesians chapter number six on this topic. Um, Start reading in verse number 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all stand let's pray heavenly father we do thank you lord for allowing us to be in church tonight thank you for this book we thank you for the light it gives us we thank you for the direction it gives us and the authority uh, that we have that we can stand on it uh, lord and it can dictate our lives god and uh, i just pray lord that you would help us as we open this book tonight lord that you would please wash me in the blood of jesus christ father be with my mind and my thoughts and my words father i pray that even though these things may be familiar uh lord that maybe uh they would be more clear uh uh, having going through them again here tonight we thank you lord for just allowing us to be here tonight pray for our pastor lord uh lord not feeling well we have a few folks that are out lord just not feeling good kind of in that uh, transitional uh, time of the year where you know colds and flus and stuff be going around and i just pray father that you put your healing hand on our people uh that uh, that are out and lord get them back here safely uh and uh Lord, get them here uh, back worshiping and, and in church, uh, Lord, as soon as possible. Lord, we thank you uh, for the faithful that are here tonight, and I pray that they'd get something and be able to chew on the rest of the work week. And Lord, I pray you prepare our hearts uh, for Sunday, be with our pastor as he thinks on those things he's going to bring forth on Sunday as well. Lord, again, we're thankful to be here. Lord, we pray you come back soon. But until then, Lord, help us to stand. Lord, help us to be pleasing in your in your eyes. And uh, Lord, I pray that you bless our walk with you. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here in Ephesians chapter number 6, you're seeing here that God is giving us a command to stand. And uh, that is is—it's important. It's a a part of the Christian life that, of course, you've heard before. It it does become a little bit cliche uh, as far as, you know, take a stand for the Lord. And, of course, when you think about that, a lot of times... You have a you have a preconceived notion in your mind of what standing is, <clears throat> and uh, in this in this in this book of the Bible, uh, the Bible is pretty amazing because the Bible folds into itself. And uh, there was a a brother down there that got ordained this year, um, and uh, he uh, he was blind, and he he said some things in his sermon when he preached um, that uh, are, are is really good, and, and it's how you know that the Bible. Uh, isn't like any other book you've ever had, and that is that the Bible folds into itself. And so if there's an underlying theme in, the, in, in a book, a lot of times you'll find a place in that book where that theme is actually outlined, and then you can pinpoint the outline throughout the different sections of the book. So you have, you have a big outline here, and then you have maybe like an expository passage that you can outline that will, that will reinforce the whole outline of the book. And I'll show you that here tonight. <clears throat> excuse me, but no other book is written like that. And, uh, and if you get into, and one of the things he brought out was the, was the teaching of, uh, of Isaiah being, they call it the Little Bible. And Isaiah has 66 chapters, and of course your Bible has 66 books. And as you go through the different chapters of Isaiah, you find the theme of each one of the corresponding books uh, of the Bible uh, in, in correlation with the chapter that you're in in the book of Isaiah. And so it's pretty amazing uh, how how the Bible does that. And uh, here in the book of Ephesians in chapter number 6, I think that there's an expository outline here that matches the the way that you can outline the book. And what it does is it takes this topic of standing and it boils it down to a really, really simplistic way for us to understand what that is. I was talking to a friend of mine today. He called me and we were on the phone for a little while. And uh, he was saying, you know... uh, uh, he's talking about a guy in his church and he said there's a guy in my church who's been really having a hard time and he's like, man, uh, he's been with him since he, you know, started pastoring the church. And he said he called me the other day and said, Man, I'm just, there's just like pressure and there's just like this weight on me. And he says and I, my, my relationship with God just I feel like it's completely stagnant. The Lord is completely gone. And uh, he's like, Man, I just I'm frustrated. I'm 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 upset. And I just I just feel like I can't go on like this. And, uh, you know, there's a spiritual pressure right now, um, more so than maybe any other time that we've been alive. And it's a, and it's a pressure, it's a demonic pressure that is affecting Christians. And uh, it's just like driving home the other night. We, we left Monday morning uh, down in Jacksonville or St. Augustine and, and drove back home. And I, got, I pulled into my driveway at 6.30 Tuesday morning having driven all day and all night. And uh, and I remember that last leg, man, I was fighting to keep my eyes open. I mean, I thank God uh, for the, the cruise control and all that kind of stuff because, man, I was nodding off, it seemed like. I was like, I got to pull over here, you know because uh, I could feel my eyes getting heavy, and I could feel it harder. And no matter how much I tried to focus, no matter how much you... It's like those lines just start to hypnotize you on the highway. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's probably 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and you're kind of waiting for the sun to peek out behind the dark clouds. And it's like, man, it's time for bed. Folks, we're coming into the end of the church age. And folks, the night is, is, is long. And it is, it is really almost done. And it is going to be harder and harder and harder to keep the eyes open. It's going to become harder to stand in any capacity. So many times we think that standing is for preachers. Or standing is for somebody who's in the ministry in some form or fashion. This command is not to preachers. This command is to save people. It's for everybody in this room. He says, having done all... To stand. And I'm telling you, just like you're trying to fight back, to, it's like, man, Lord, I just it's hard to stand. It's like they're, everything's against you. And it is. <laughs> and in here, and I, I give the illustration, you know, growing up on the farm, you know, you have, you have a lot of responsibility. There's a lot that goes into the gallon of milk that you buy at the grocery store. That you don't understand, and if you've never been on the backside of that thing, you don't really fully appreciate the gallon of milk that you buy at the grocery store, right? Uh, I, I know people. I know people that have been farming their whole lives, and probably not so much now because the majority of it has been commercialized and that kind of thing. And most of the days of the small farmer are gone. They can't. You can't make a living doing it anymore. Uh, the cost. Uh, the cost and uh, benefit analysis on that particular. Uh, uh, 100 head cattle is, uh, is not very good. And so, um, but back when I was a kid, there was guys that had been family farming for generations and they never left their farm. I'm talking, they never, there was no vacations. There was no, there was no, hey, hey, we're going to pack up and go to Florida and enjoy a meeting for a few days. It was five o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the evening, milking cows twice a day. She's calving. You're out there early and she's in labor and you're delivering calves and you're doing all this different stuff and you're bringing the cows up from the time that they're newborn little calves and they're on a bottle and you're transitioning them to a bucket and then you're putting them out in the field and you're doing all these different things all for the sake of that moment when she has that calf and you get the colostrum worked out of her and now she's a producing cow and you can put her in a rotation to where you can put a milker on her and she starts to bring profit and she starts to put milk in the bulk tank. Right. Also, that somebody can go to the grocery store and pay whatever the price of milk is, (laughs) and put it in their grocery cart. Say, what? What are you trying to say? Milk is a byproduct of a long chain of work, and standing is similar in the fact that it is a byproduct of other things that have to take place in an individual's life before they can stand. So many times we lead somebody to the Lord or we have a newer Christian or some folks that come in. And uh, the temptation is, hey, you need, to, you need to do something for Jesus. It's like, hey, come into church and you need to do something for Christ now. It's like, hey, you need to take a stand That's your job. You need to, hey, listen, you're putting the cart before the horse. You're putting the cart before the horse. You're going to hurt people because you're given a warning. And if you're taking notes, write this, this in conjunction. If you have a margin uh, there in your Bible, I would put a cross reference uh, here in Ephesians chapter 6 in the, in the verses that, that relate to standing. I would put a cross reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, because it gives you a balance for what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 6. And as Bible believers, we've gotten, we've gotten the, uh, the, the rap of being pretty hardcore. Like we don't have a problem taking a stand, right? Because we, we know we're right. And sometimes that confidence of knowing what the Word of God is and knowing your doctrine and that kind of stuff, you say, well, I'm taking a stand. But there's a balance. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth <clears throat> take heed lest he fall. You better take heed, lest you fall. I've been in church for X amount of years. I don't care. You better take heed, lest you fall. Yeah, well, I've been to Bible school. You'd better take heed, lest you fall. I've been in church, uh, you know, nine months before I was born. And don't you know, I'm a Sunday school, and I'm a, and I'm a, uh, you know, and I do this, and I, and, and you have this laundry list of things that you do. What is he saying? You better take heed lest you fall. Because there's a position that you can get into, and that is where you think you're standing. But what you don't realize is you're actually hanging off a cliff. And if you're not careful, it's a long way down. So that means, and, and Paul is unique in the, in the fact that he speaks more on self-deception than any other writer in the Bible. And when he speaks to that, he says, he tells you constantly, be not deceived. He says, "Deceiving, don't deceive yourself. That means that you can think you're doing something correctly, but you're really not. There's a danger. There's a danger in thinking that you're standing when really you're about to fall. David said, I was in the. I was. I was almost in the uh, in the midst of all evil, in the midst of the congregation. Right, You remember that Psalm. Yeah. So I was in the midst of all evil. What right? Right in the middle of the congregation. I was ready to fall out, sitting in church. You know, want to know something? A lot of people that leave church, they don't land in another church. You know that, right? Yeah. How many people you know that you used to go to church with? That aren't in church anymore. And guess what? They're not sitting in a different church. Where are they sitting? They're on a the couch. He that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest ye fall. Lest you fall. There's a temptation. There's a danger. He's warning us. Hey, listen. Yeah, you need to stand, but you never be careful because there's a position where you can be in where you think you're standing, but you're actually getting ready to fall. And the problem with that and, and what we see here in Ephesians chapter 6 is there are some things that need to take place in order for you to stand. Look with me, if you will, here in verse number 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. In verse number 10, we see that uh, it takes strength to stand. Remember how I said that there's an expository uh, message here from verses 10 uh, and, and down through, and then it's going to correlate with the whole book of Ephesians? If you're, if you're interested in, a lot of times when I do Bible study... I would go to the beginning of the book and I would write down some general uh, uh, information in regards to the book so that if I ever turn to the the, the first part of Ephesians, I have some details, how many words, how many verses, so on and so forth, some general information about the book and a pretty simple outline. If you were to break the book down for a commentary sense or whatnot, uh, there's there's three portions of the book of Ephesians. First portion is chapters one through chapter four and that is a... That is a doctrinal portion where Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus about the doctrinal situation that they are in because of what Jesus Christ did. That's chapters one through four. Then there's a practical section of the book of Ephesians that's broken up into two parts. Practical section number one is chapter number four, all the way through chapter number six, verse nine. And this is in regard to a Christian and how he should conduct himself in his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have a third section of the book of Ephesians, which though it be small uh, in a in, in, in number of verses, it packs a pretty big punch. And that is the standing of the Christian against his adversary, the devil. And that is chapter number 6, verse 10, all the way through the end of the book. That's how you can break up the book of Ephesians. And in chapter number 10, or verse number 10 in chapter 6, he says, Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. And he tells us it takes strength in order to stand. And it's not your strength. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, in the doctrinal portion of the book, in verse number 5 through 6, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, He hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us, here's the key word, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what we see firstly? If you're going to stand, you have to be in a position of strength in order to stand. He tells you the position of strength, and it's not what you would think it would be. I remember being a uh, corrections officer, and in our particular jail, we had a we had a, a vertical jail. It wasn't a large one-story jail where there was different sections and that kind of thing, and you could walk through doors, and you didn't. And, and And it makes inmate movements a lot safer because you can do them in large corridors and in sections off of doors and that kind of thing. We had a vertical. We have a stack jail, so it had multiple levels to it. We had four floors, and we had a basement. And if you come in through the Sally Port and you walk into booking, if you go through booking, the main control is right here. And then off to your left, there's a small hallway and an elevator. And that elevator is where we did all of our inmate movements. If we had, a, we had you know people get booked in on, on a charge, they have to, uh, they have to uh, go ahead and be presented to the judge within a certain amount of time. And we'd have a court date. And uh, we would have to, we'd call out by floors. And we'd put 10 inmates in that elevator and one correction officer. And I tell you, I've been in that elevator <laughs> with 10 inmates. And you know what I'm doing? I'm sitting on this one side. I got my hands. I'm not. My arms aren't crossed. My hands are down to my side. And my foot is on the back of that wall like this. You say, why is your foot there? Because if one of them suckers come at me, I'm coming at them with as much force as I can muster and I'm kicking my stinking leg off that wall and I'm not going to have to unfold my hands where they can cross my arms up. My hands are ready to go. You say, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to put myself in a position of strength that where if a threat comes against me, I can have the best chance of survival and overcoming the threat that's coming against me. So what do you do? You position yourself to be as strong as you can to protect yourself. And war and and, and different strategies when it comes to war. Positioning is everything. Why? Because you don't want to be on the low ground when somebody has the high ground because that would be considered a position of strength. But see, we're Christians. And our position of strength looks a lot different. When we can think of a, a position of strength, it's not one where we have the upper hand. Our position of strength is not a position that makes us look good. Our position of strength is not based upon how much we know. And our position of strength is not based on our abilities. And our position of strength is not based on our talents. And it's not based on our lot in life and how much money we have in the bank. And whether or not uh, we have this or have that or what we possess. Those are not our positions of strength, although sometimes they're mistaken as such. Because the Bible tells you what your position of strength is. He told Paul, he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Right? That I may, he says, I want the power of Christ, that the power of Christ will rest upon me. Why? With the fellowship of his sufferings. You say, your position of strength, he told you what it was in Ephesians chapter 2. What is that? Sitting down. If you're in, you in a fight, you know you don't want to be? Sitting down. You know what they teach you in martial arts when you're doing defense tactics and that kind of thing? You know what they teach you how to do? They try to teach you to be as strong as you can in a position of weakness. When you're on your back, there's techniques that you can do while on your back. You know, you know what makes a really good jiu-jitsu fighter? I talked to Brother Reagan about this. You know what makes a good jiu-jitsu fighter? Somebody who's good on their back. You want to know what the the, the key to the Christian strength is? Is when you have come to the end of all your resources and you realize your doctrinal position in Jesus Christ is not one of you standing and it's not one of you doing, it's one of you sitting and learning to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and He purchased your salvation, and He sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's nobody in history that has what you have in this church age. Old Testament saints would have killed to have what you have. In the future, tribulation saints would kill to have what you and I have tonight. What's our position in Jesus Christ? Our position of strength? I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am tapped in to God the Father because Jesus Christ is sitting down at his right hand. Amen. And I'm in him, and he's in me, and he's in the Father, and there's this like, you know, this like threefold cord that can't be broken, and I'm just wrapped up in the middle of that thing. Amen. Amen? And I'm eternally secure. And my doctrinal position in Jesus Christ is where I tap into my strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. How do you get joy? Fellowship. How do I get fellowship? It's by doing. No. You get fellowship by resting in what Jesus Christ has already done for you. I love the very simplistic illustration, but I have children now so I can use them. My kids, they do dumb stuff. Because that's what kids do. They do dumb stuff, right? But you know what they don't have to do? They never have to impress me in order for me to love them. I don't come home from work, and Isaac don't come home from school, and the kids don't come home from school, and they say, Oh, Dad, look at what I did, look what I did. Uh, You know, do you love me? See what I'm doing? I'm getting good grades. Do you love me? No, I loved you before you walked in the door. I loved you before I saw your report card. I, I love. I listen. I loved you before you cleaned your room without being asked. You say why? Because you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. I can't love you anymore. Right? How do you get? How do you get strength? You get strength in resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what ends up happening is is if you look at how lifeguards are trained, they say if somebody's drowning and they're flailing their arms because they're fearful and they're doing everything in their power to keep themselves alive, you cannot help them. Because they will hit you, they will grab you, they will pull you and you will both sink to the bottom and you will both drown. And so what do you have to do? You have to wait until that person tuckers themselves out to where they stop trying to fend for themselves and protect themselves and provide for themselves and sustain themselves. And they realize, I can't do this on my own. I need somebody else to do it for me. And then that trained diver can come in or that trained lifeguard can come in and swoop in and, and bring them up and set them on, their, on the part of their chest as they, as they secure them and they paddle to safety and get them to where they need to go. Do you realize a lot of times that's why you feel so weak? Some of you in here, you know what? You feel weak. You feel weak against your flesh. You feel weak against the devil. You feel weak against the world. You look in the mirror and you go, I hate this thing. And it seems like the more you struggle, the more weak you feel. Why are you so weak? Why are you so weak? We was powerlifting at the house. And uh, I'll pick on Adam because he says he's sick. Because he's weak. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, you know, I was lifting and, and, and Adam and them were lifting. And I, I have to have my own bar. Because it's like I, I, Travis was there have to have their own bar it's not I'm just bigger than they are right and I don't want to be loading eight plates while they're you know they're I have to unload my whole bar every time they got to do a set so you know they're uh they're over there doing that and they're looking at and they're saying I'm so weak I'm so weak I said you want to know how you stop being weak I was like this is profound you ready I said get strong if you're sick of being weak Then get strong. Well, how do I do that? You don't. See, it's the opposite. If you want to get stronger lifting weights, you train, and you train, and you train, and you train, and eventually over time you get stronger. Spiritually, you know what you do? You learn to sit down. I had a friend one time. I walked into the living room, and uh, he was saying he had to lose weight and everything. And I, I walk in the living room. I hear, one, two, three. Go ahead, you can do it. Woo! Yeah! Woo! Feel the burn. And I'm thinking, what the is going on in here? And I walk in there, and my buddy Jared's sitting in a lazy boy chair with a bag of chips oh, watching a workout video. And they're like, one, two, you can do it. You know, and I'm thinking, that's not how this works. Right? Isn't it a blessing that if you want to get strong when the Lord tonight, just learn to sit down <laughs> and rest in Him? You want to know how you tell you're, that you're weak? Your fear, your frustration. I can't do nothing right. Everything's messed up. And you feel helpless. You want to know why you're fearful? because you're not resting in the Jesus Christ. Didn't he say, I shall supply all your need according to not your riches, my riches in glory. Right? He said, uh, take no thought. Consider the lilies, how they toil not, neither do they spin. He says he feeds the sparrow. He says how much better are you than a sparrow but yet we find ourselves flailing trying to work in, through our life and our own strength when God says I got your back here I got your front I got your up and I got your down and the problem is, is what do we find ourselves not doing we're not sitting the problem ain't that you're not standing the problem is, is you're trying to stand without first learning how to sit you want to know why we want to be careful with new Christians trying to get them doing things before it's time for them to do things? Because the first thing you need to do after you get saved is learn how to sit down. You know what the hardest thing for some of you to do? You know what the hardest thing for me to do sometimes is learn to sit down and do nothing. I didn't know how to take a vacation. I'm, I'm not kidding. Brother Sam called me. He said, hey, what's your plans? I'm like, brother, I ain't got no plans. I just plan on just like existing somewhere other than my home for X amount of time. He says, man, you need to plan. <laughs> like, you, need a, you you know, you need to, you know, like have a vacation, you know, you know, just, just, you know, just whatever. Like, I didn't know how to just, I didn't know how to relax successfully. You know what I'm saying? Because we're really bad that if we're not working, we're really bad at learning how to rest. Amen. Yeah. Really bad at learning how to rest. Because we naturally feel like we need to be doing something. And that's when the fear sets in. That's when the frustration sets in. Because we're bad at sitting. But I can tell you this. You'll never stand if you can't sit. You understand that? I know it's quiet right now. Because it's, it's backwards. But you'll never stand if you can't sit. Because you'll have no strength. You'll stand for a minute. Maybe. Maybe. And just like the parable of the sower, you may last a little while, but that heat comes out and you'll wilt. Amen? Because you didn't learn how to first sit. You want to know what seed has to do before it can grow? You have to sow it. And you know what it has to do? It's just got to sit and germinate and get the roots established in the dirt underneath it. And then it can start to sprout. Yeah, I know you know a lot. And I know you've been around a long time. And you're thinking, yeah, whippersnapper, you think you know it. No, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, take heed lest you fall. Because, yeah, I may be young, but I've seen a lot of old folks fall out. <laughs> Amen. I've seen a lot of old folks fall out in my little time being around. Because they didn't know how to sit. Number two, I want you to see something here. Look in verse number 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look in verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We see that after we learn to sit, there's a command here to put on the whole armor of God. That's a work that you, that you do. You have to put it on. You have to do that. It is a work. It is, an, it, is an, it is an outward thing that you need to do. You know what we find in Ephesians chapter number four in verse one, it says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You say, how are you going to stand? You'll never stand if you, learn how, if you don't learn how to sit and you'll never stand until you learn how to walk. He says the whole armor of God. You notice how the whole armor of God that he speaks of here is completely personal? It has to do with your personal conduct. It has to do, uh, look in verse, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27 it says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul's saying, I know that my walk will affect whether or not I can stand. Because after all, if me standing, which is him preaching, that's him standing up for what God has done or what God had said, and he knows that if he doesn't have his body in subjection and how he conducts himself, that his walk is affected negatively, or his stand is affected negatively because his walk isn't what it should be. And that's the gripe of everybody that's not in church a bunch of hypocrites bunch of hypocrites in the church. You can't trust anything they say. You, can't, you know, and I've seen them do this and do that and this, that, and the other. And you get into hypocrites in the church all day long. I get it. And that's not what this is about. What this is about is if you're going to stand, you know what you need to first learn to do? You need to learn to walk. You know what we preach constantly? Pastors all the time preaching on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. The power to walk comes from sitting. But walking has to happen before you can stand. Okay, Romans chapter 14, verse 22 says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. You know, the problem that we have, and I say we because I have it in my life too, is we allow things in our life that affects our walk. And you know what it's going to do ultimately? You ain't standing for nothing. You can't even walk. How are you going to stand? You realize that standing can be more physically demanding than walking can? Yeah. And so, and so he tells you here, loins girt about with truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel, uh, shield of faith, uh, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. These are all things on the inside. I can't, I can't look at Brother Andrew and say, man, you, you got the whole armor of God on. Hey, man, I can I can tell. He's decked out. I can't tell that. I can't tell if any one of you has the whole armor of God on. You can tell me you have it on. But the only people who know you do is you, God, and the devil. Yeah. Right? Because you clean up on the outside. Your walk on the outside can be okay. But your walk when nobody else is around is a mess. Is a mess. And why is it a mess? Because you're allowing things, and you're not putting a check on things, and it's destroying you because what's happening is, is your walk and the things that you allow, it affects your conscience. And your conscience, when it starts to get seared, it does, you don't have the same amount of conviction anymore. And all of a sudden, things that used to bother you don't bother you anymore because you've exposed yourself to so much. And it's like, where does it end? It ends in ruin. That's where it ends. It ends in a horrible, horrible fall. And many are affected by it. And you've read the articles of the preachers, and you've read the articles, and you've heard the the horror stories of so and so did this, and so, I can't believe that they did that. And how in the world did they do that? I just would have never thought that they would do that. I served under a pastor for five years. That's on felony charges of child molestation right now. How does that happen? Something wrong with his walk. Something wrong with his walk. Every flaw of a man's character is preceded by an evil line of thinking. It doesn't just happen, there's an evil line of thinking when somebody falls and their walk's all messed up and the kids become a victim you want to know what i've learned in the observation of christians over the years and i've seen it in my own life we get real dogmatic about preferences we get real dogmatic about things that we like and things that you know we th- those are our convictions right there are convictions They're not based on Bible. They're just our convictions. I'm not saying that's wrong. Necessarily. I've watched families break apart and teens go berserk because they took a stand that if their girls wore pants, they were of the devil. Now, if you don't wear pants, I don't care. But... Was that stand, if I asked that mother today, hey, was that stand worth it? When you lost your daughter and she ran up north and hooked up with some guys up there, all because she you you, you put the, you put the you put such a strain on her to be what you thought uh, spirituality was, and you thought all this was it, and you said if, you, if she did this and if she didn't have a skirt on, that she was you know of the devil, and you told her that all the time. And she said, and the minute she turns 18 or or 17 or 18 and she had got her car license, she said, see you later. Was it worth it? Hey, the convictions, the convictions that you have that you're so dogmatic about that aren't rooted in the Bible, have you ever considered what that may produce in the folks around you? Because you want to know what I've learned? A lot of times. A strong stand is a cover-up for a weak walk. And the reason why folks are so dogmatic about stuff is because they're actually trying to cover up and they're compensating for the fact that they're struggling with the same thing that they're standing against. Right? That's like... Pornography's so bad, it's so wicked, so this. And what are you looking at when you're at home by yourself? Well, you stand against it real hard, and I'm not condoning it. But is that a cover up for your weak walk? Sure, you talk. You 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 talk a big talk about you know. Uh, you better watch your mouth, and you better you better uh, you know not be backbiting all this different stuff. Let me ask you this. Uh, how many prayer requests have you asked on somebody else's behalf when really it was just you trying to get information about somebody else or tell somebody else what you knew all in the, on the auspices of it's a prayer request I'm making a stand no you're covering up a weak walk you see Bible believers we think standing is something it's not you feel me I know this is way down in the tater patch here. I get it. I get it. Because guess what? It, it requires you to look back and say, why am I so dogmatic about that? Why are you? How come you just can't be balanced? Because that's what the Bible tells you to be. How come you just can't have some down-home country sense instead of trying to legislate everything? Because you're not in control, because you have to be in control. That tells me that you're not sitting, and that tells me that your walk isn't right, and that tells me that the stands that you're having are just to cover up the fact that you have a weak walk, which is telling me that you're plugged in to the wrong power source. You understand? It's a process. We have to examine our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I walking worthy of the vocation in which I'm called? You may not be called to be a preacher, but you're called to do something. Maybe God called you to sit in this church and just be a church member. That's a big calling. That's a big deal. Maybe maybe God called some of you ladies in here. You're in the place of your life now where you're raising kids. That's a calling. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I've watched my wife sit on the sideline for years now while I'm standing for God and she's sitting at home with three kids pulling her hair out half the time. Uh, I don't want to go behind her at the judgment seat of Christ. Right? Or walk. Walking worthy of the vocation in which you're called. You want to know what I think the problem is? is we've become so laxed and so familiar with our calling that we don't see how high of a calling it is. The fact that you're in here tonight and you have a King James Bible in your lap and you're at a church where the preacher preaches the truth and you're exposed to good doctrine and you have folks around you that care about you and you're not in some stinking NIV church tonight and you're not in some place where you're getting lied to or someone's trying to just appease you to get the money out of your wallet and that you're in a place tonight. You realize how high of a calling that is? Walk worthy of it. Oh, you thought it was for preachers. No, it's for you too. Walk worthy of it. You, just the phrase "walk worthy of the vocation which you're called." It tells you that, hey, it's not this little thing. It's like, oh, I'm a Christian. I just come to church all assadaisical and like whatever. I'm just kind of here and I'm there. And this. if this comes up, then whatever. It's like, you know, church really isn't that big of a deal. But, you know, did God call you? So how big of a deal is it? I'm not going legalistic either. Listen to me. That's why I wear a suit and tie when I come to church, because God called me to preach. I'm trying to walk worthy of the vocation in which God called me to do. When I go down to Jacksonville, I don't wear shorts going into, uh, uh, into the church down there. I was going to wear shorts once and pastor lit into me. I was like, I don't get it. This was probably six years ago. He lit into me. He's like, what are you doing wearing shorts? I was like, well, I don't really care. I wear shorts everywhere, you know. And all of a sudden it clicked with me. It's like, no, 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 no. You're representing something. Oh, so when I'm, down, when I'm down there and I'm, and I'm there to minister, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress nice. Why? Because I need to walk worthy of the vocation in which I'm called. We make light of what God's called us to do. Well, I'm not a preacher. You don't understand. A Christian is one of the highest callings you could possibly get. And the fact that God had called you to a good Bible-believing church, you know what you ought to do? You ought to walk worthy of the vocation because guess what? You don't just represent yourself, you represent this church when you go out. You represent this church when you go out into this world. How you conduct yourself, how you speak, how you act. What is it? You're not just representing you, you're representing something a lot bigger than you. A lot bigger than you. And the Bible says you should walk worthy of the vocation in which you're called moving on and trying not to take too much time tonight. But I really want to nail this point down that, okay, we're going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last days, we need to stand. Are you sitting? Are you resting? you letting God take care of stuff? Because that's your strength. And without strength, you can't walk. Are you walking? Or are you so calloused to the things that you've allowed in your life that you don't even realize. You're setting yourself up for a fall. And there's just but one step between you and death. There's one step between you and death. Look with me. Well, actually, I'll give you an illustration before we move on to the next thing. You think about Naboth. I've preached that sermon here before, don't give up the vineyard. How in the world did Naboth stand against Ahab, the wickedest king of the day, probably one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel's history, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up? And he comes to him and says, hey, give me your, pal- give me, give me your, your, your vineyard. It's hard by my palace. I'll give you a, a better vineyard than it or I'll give you the worth of it in money. Hand it over. He says no. And he stands up to Ahab. And you know what happens? They send letters and they falsify information and they put them up before this kangaroo court. And they have people in there testify against him. And they and they uh, they they set him up high amongst the people. And they say he's blasphemed God and the king and all this different stuff. And you know he's walking down that corridor. And they're gonna they're gonna take him out. They're gonna stone him. They're gonna stone his boys because they are the the rightful heirs to the vineyard after he dies. So they take out the whole lineage of Naboth. You find that in the next book over. You realize that the blood of Naboth and his sons cry out they killed all of them and I can see them walking down the corridor there going out of the city and they're, they're all saying kill him kill him kill him and you can see the people that know Naboth on the side, both sides of the street and they say Naboth why are you doing this just give him the vineyard man why are you why are you doing this if you just gave it to him you and your boys could go you know, plant it somewhere else Save your life, you fool. And he says, Far be it from me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto you. What made his stand so effective? It was the lineage that he represented of the people that went out day after day, morning after morning, night after night, pruning, cutting back, preparing the soil, all the tedious work that it took to build that vineyard and to grow that vineyard. And he said, far be it from me, I know this is what God put me in. This is the vocation in which I was called to do. And I will not give this thing up. Because... His fathers had walked that course with him hand in hand for all those years and he realized that the thing that he was representing was so much bigger than him. You want to know what we need to realize when our walk? Is that you have a lineage of people behind you that have given their life for what you so freely enjoy and the vocation in which you've called whether in any capacity it represents something a whole lot bigger than you and it's worthy for you to walk correctly and conduct yourself in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, look in verse 12. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He says, he tells us here, The proper stance in which to have. I'll say a couple things here about standing. All predicated on the things that we've said before that you cannot stand if you first don't learn how to sit. And you cannot stand if you're not walking. And you can't walk if you're not sitting. Standing is a byproduct of these things. But here he tells us the proper stance. The first thing he tells us is we need to know... Who we're standing against. He said here, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You're not standing against people, you're not standing against some political action, you're not standing against your own preferences, you're standing against the devil you're standing against the flesh and you're standing against this world and don't get it twisted. You have to realize who you're standing against because so many times we focus on each other or we focus on situations or we focus on, uh, you you know how many people are so wrapped up in the news right now as if that's your stand. I've had preachers tell me, this is the cross we die on. the heck are you talking about? It's the cross we die on. Whether or not we lose America, that's the cross I die on? No thanks. Whether uh, your president gets in or not, that's the cross you die on? You stand before Jesus Christ with that cross. Not for me. Who do you stand against? You're not standing against the people sitting next to you. I know that we're asked to do an impossible thing and we have all different walks of life and all different personalities and all different backgrounds and it's almost impossible to get everybody in one place and getting along with each other. Especially when I'm involved in it. And I get it. I have a horrible personality. I get it. I understand. My wife tells me all the time. But we're called not to fight amongst each other. We're called to be unified body of believers to stand against the one that we're supposed to be standing against the world the flesh and the devil so you need to know who you're standing against properly identify the enemy next time you get your you know your your cackle's all up and somebody said something and maybe there's some misinformation, maybe there's this, that, and the other. And right before you start to like open your mouth and start to shoot it off and say something about so-and-so and and start running somebody down and everything else, maybe you need to properly identify the enemy. Before you shoot that post that can't be withdrawn because once it's out there and somebody reads it, it's there for good. And even though you delete it off of your whatever, I don't know how it works, but you delete it off of your whatever, people already read it. They know what you said. And you're messing with that foolishness and you think it's innocent. It's not innocent. And you need to realize who the enemy is. You have to know where you're supposed to stand. You need to know where you're supposed to stand. David had a mighty man and he had a patch of lentils and he says he stood in that patch of lentils and he fought everybody off until the sword clave in his hand and he couldn't let it go. If anybody else would have tried to defend that pea patch, they'd have been wrong. Why? Because it wasn't theirs. Right? It wasn't theirs. So you need to figure out where God wants you to stand and protect your pea patch. I said this down there and I'll say it here. I realized a long time ago I'm not Dr. Ruckman. Right, And God called Dr. Ruckman to stand for some things. The King James Bible, eternal security, all this, this, this doctrinal you know, stuff that... I mean, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand for that even if I wanted to. I'd just be regurgitating what he said. That's not my position to stand in. And it's not yours either. You want to know why we have so much division amongst Bible leaders right now? Because everybody's trying to vine for the spot of the next Dr. Ruckman. What's the problem? They're not standing where God told them to stand. They're standing in another man's pee patch. So you know what you need to do? Figure out where God wants you to stand. I know where God wants me to stand. 1511 Elmbrook Trail. That's my house. And I have a family there. That's where I, I need to stand right there in my pee patch. God put me working with the teenagers in this church. Pastor asked me to do that several years ago. I prayed about it. The Lord said, go ahead and do it. And you know what? That's my little pee patch, that little Sunday school room up there. You know what I found out? I feel God enables me more in Sunday school than any time I get behind a pulpit. And you don't see it because you're not in Sunday school class. The teens see it. At least when when I'm teaching up there, I really feel like God's enabled me to do that more than sometimes when I get behind a pulpit and preach. Because that's where God's got me standing. And if he opens the door to do something else somewhere down the road, uh, I, I have no idea. But I know this. Wherever he tells me to stand, that's where I need to stand. And I don't need to try to build on another man's foundation. The Bible tells you, put not forth thyself in the presence of the king and stand not in the place of great men. Sometimes, you know what you do? You idolize people, and it's all right to do that to a certain extent. And, you know, you, you look up to folks and you say, I'd like to be like so and so. But then you get to the place where you're trying to be them. And you're not standing where you're supposed to stand. And God will not enable you to stand there because you're standing in the wrong spot. And He said, Don't stand in the place of great men. He says, For better is it that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. It's better for God to promote you to a place where you can stand than for you to try to promote yourself to that place. <coughs> you need to be careful where you stand. And finally, I'll say this, and then we'll take prayer requests. You need to know how you're supposed to stand. You need to know how you're supposed to stand. You know, there are side effects for standing for a long period of time. It's more physically taxing than walking is. You can walk further distance than you can stand. Okay? When you're standing, you're putting putting all your pressure in a static position on all your joints and your muscles and your ligaments. And if you have, maybe if you're standing, anybody here ever been like a cashier or a place where like many of you are in manufacturing and you're just standing all day long? And I'm not talking like running back and forth where you have some movement, you can move around. I mean, I remember I was like, you know, 16, 15, 16 years old. And I, uh, my first job at like age of like 15 or something, I was a dishwasher. And I stood in front of that stupid dishwasher for like, you know, 10 hours a day, just spraying dishes and putting them in the Hobart and closing the door and sliding everything through. And I literally just stood there. And I remember being a cashier for like a year and a half or something like that at Kmart growing up. one of my three jobs when I first moved out of my house and you stand there in this one position all day long and you're just standing there and by the time the end of your day you're like, oh Lord, help me. <laughs> you know? I feel like you're 80 years old and you're just like walking like this and you're like, I just can't stand anymore. Sometimes we become so rigid in our stand that you don't realize you can't stand all the time. And if you're constantly trying to stand you're gonna wear out. You're gonna put unnecessary pressure on your lower extremities, and you're gonna be in a lot of pain. And your pelvis can shift, and you can and and, and it'll be an out of adjustment. And then if your pelvis, pelvis is shifted, then you know you have one leg a little bit longer than the other, and it puts pressure on your hips and it puts pressure on your on your joints, and your ankles start to hurt and your feet start to hurt. And you know what? It's just bad all the way around. Some of y'all know what I'm saying say, what's the problem? Standing too long. Standing too long. You know, sometimes you need to sit down. Sometimes, you know what you need to do? You just need to shake it off a little bit, take a little walk, and let somebody else stand for a minute. You can't stand all the time. Standing is a byproduct of the other two. And you know what the remedy for standing for long periods of time is? They say, "You need more support." That's what they say, they say, you need more support, because your arches are hurting. We were just down in St. Augustine, and they had this reflexology place down there. I don't know what that is, but it's something where they massage your feet. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm serious. It's fantastic, because I usually pay my kids to rub my feet. But i tell you inflation has hit the biennal household. I used to get a foot rub for like, you know, a few cents or something. Now it's like, Dad, I need a fiver. I'm thinking, man, that's like 500%. (laughs) You know, inflation has hit. My kids are sitting on cash for days because daddy's feet hurt. You know what? You're standing for so long, and you know what you need? You need some support. But sometimes because we're standing, we become reclusive. And we start to push people away because I'm standing and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm so focused on what it is that I'm doing. And what you do is you negate the support God's given you. That's why the local church is so important, folks. That's why you can't get it on a YouTube and you can't get it on a live stream. Why? Because you need that support to help you stand. And every now and again, you know what you need to do? You need to sit back And let God come in with his thumbs and just put his thumbs in them arches. Hallelujah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And they put them thumbs in the arches right there and they start rubbing up and down. And you just like, you know, you just fall asleep. (laughs) Last thing, and I'll give you this illustration and we'll be done. We'll take prayer requests. You know, on the farm, one thing that you don't even really think about is the amount of money that is spent on the feet of the cattle because they have hooves and they spend majority of their time standing or walking around and when you're on the farm they're walking on concrete they're not walking on soft and that kind of stuff and when they're walking in the dirt a lot of times what ends up happening is, is if there's any kind of tweak or or something like that the hoof can start to, to can, can roll and there's an outside wall then there's an inside portion of the hoof And underneath that is what they call the corium. It's kind of like the wick of your fingernail. You know, you cut your fingernail too far, there's like that live section. It really hurts. It can bleed and stuff. That's like the corium in the bottom of a cow's hoof. And what happens is, is that they get to walking and they get to standing and all of a sudden they get like a small, just a small little crack in that hoof. And things start to work their way in there and stones can get in there. They can step on a nail or, or, or just dirt and stuff can get packed into that thing. And so what happens is is a hoofsmith will come out and he'll take that first layer of gunk off and he'll take a grinding wheel and he'll grind that hoof down and you'll just see a small little speck of brown. And you'll think that's no big deal. But here's the problem. That cow comes walking in and they say that cow's lame cuz it's 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 it's, it's kind of lifting this one foot up and it's trying to and it can't hardly stand anymore. And so what that vet has to come do, what that hoofsmith has to come do, he's got his special knife, got a little curve on the end of it, sharper than a razor blade. And they take that cow's hoof and they put it up between their legs and they have the hoof right here and they take that thing and they see that little black dot and they start to, they start to hew out that hoof. And they're just taking hoof out, they're taking hoof out. It's just like a horn. It's just like trimming your fingernails. It's not painful to the cow. And as they start to remove that, that hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And and what happens is, is there's separation because a lesion gets down in there and it gets infected. And they get to the place where they take out that last bit of horn and all of a sudden blood and pus start to pour out of that hole. Because what has happened is they've been standing for so long without support that something has gotten in there and that lesion has formed. And on face value, you can't see that there's a problem, but they're in pain and they're having a hard time walking, they're having a hard time standing, and their life is miserable. You know what it takes to fix that? You have to remove every bit of delaminated horn. That means that the horn has separated itself from the corium underneath it, and now there's a gap there, and every bit of that horn has to be removed. And a lot of times what happens is is they remove almost 90% of the horn in that hoof, and all you see is this big red lesion, pus-filled, and you have to drain all that pus out, and it stinks. Oh, it stinks! And then you know what they have to do? They take bovine bond, and they and just like it looks like caulk, and they put it on the other side of it the, because they got two hooves, right? And they have cut all this hoof down, and they've res- exposed all that corium, and they pack it full of salicylic acid, and they bandage it up, and they spray it down with iodine. They bandage it up and then they put that bovine bond on this side of that hoof and they put a big rubber block on that hoof. And what happens is is when they take them out of the chute, they put all their pressure down on that rubber and it keeps air and it keeps that hoof that's been uh, removed from getting down in the slurry of feces and dirt and all that stuff. And it's a painful process. But the minute... If they get all that stuff worked out, the amount of relief that comes to that cow, that cow can walk out of that chute and not be lame anymore. Say, why is church so important? Because that's where you come in and you get your feet worked on. And sometimes you got a little fracture, you don't even know. There's just a little sliver, and you got junk in there, and you come in here and you're in pain. And you're like, I can't stand, I can't walk, I can't sit, everything hurts. And everything in your mind is just pushing out every bit of preaching you're hearing. And it's just like, I don't want to be here. And it's just like, you know what you need to do? You need to sit there and put your hoof up. And let the Word of God come in and just start taking that horn away. And get all that junk out. Why? Because we're living in a time, folks, it's imperative that we stand. It's imperative that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing because literally that horn could sound at any moment. We could be out of here. You realize that before you get home tonight, you could be standing in front of Jesus Christ. So, my question is is are you standing? Are you standing? Not talking about are you preaching talking about, are you standing? And in order to answer that, you have to say, well, am I sitting? And how is my walking? Because I'm not standing if I'm not doing those two things. Because if you think you're standing and you're not sitting and you're not walking, the Bible tells you, just like we said at the beginning of this thing, you better take heed lest you fall, right? We'll pray and we'll take prayer requests. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray, Lord, that something that was said here tonight would be of a benefit, be of help. I thank you, Lord, for the way that the Word of God outlines itself, Lord. Thankful, Lord, that we can put our trust in it. It gives us, it gives us the light and the guidance that we need in order to live here in this present evil world. You said that we can live godly and righteously, Lord, in this present evil world. And Father, I pray that you would help all that have come out tonight. Father, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, just strengthen them. Lord, and I pray, Father, that... Uh, As far as uh, when you come back, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, there would be plenty of folks standing here in Anchor Baptist Church. Lord, we thank you for all that have come out. Thank you for uh, serving next to them, Lord, and and the blessing they are to me and my family. And I just pray, Lord, that you speak to them tonight, help them, uh, and uh, bless the rest of the service, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.